Welcome to the Victorious Souls Podcast with self-love coach, Danielle Burnock. Things happen in our lives that make us feel powerless. But Danielle believes that anyone can become a victorious soul by reclaiming what belongs to them, their value, their belovedness, and their God-given superpower. The Victorious Souls Podcast is dedicated to empowering you to rise up, reclaim, and embrace the change from survive to thrive as a victorious soul through the power of love. And now, here's that lady on the internet who loves you, Danielle. Thank you for coming to the Victorious Souls podcast today with me, your host, Danielle Burnock from DanielleBurnock.com, that lady on the internet who loves you, connecting you to the love that heals so you can love yourself from survive to thrive. Today, I have an exciting guest that I've been so waiting to share with you, Keely Hillier. Now, Keely, Hello, everyone. <laughs> Keely is an author, a speaker, and a master storyteller who says on her website that pretty fast you become like a dear friend, and I can vouch for that. I met her just not too long ago when she shared her story at the church that we go to, and I'm really excited to share all of her story. She's got so much to share because before the pandemic, she was out sharing her experiences with women and helping them get over fear and loss and depression. But after the pandemic, COVID gave her a new experience that gives her another story to share, and I'm really glad that she's alive to tell the tale with us today. So thank you for being with me today, Keely. I'm so excited about today. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this also. Yeah, and something else I wanted to tell you listeners, this is Keely's first podcast. So Yes, it is. Clap for her while you're listening right now, because, you know, firsts can be difficult. And I'm just so excited that I get to help my friend just bring her into this new space for her because podcasts are awesome. Well, it's something I've been wanting to do for a while. And sweet Danielle is forcing me out of my comfort zone. So I think I thank you in advance. Oh, well, coming out of our comfort zone is just little by little. And then it becomes our new comfort zone. Yes, very necessary. So I'm very much looking forward to it. So to get started, why don't you give us just a little bit of your background, how you grew up or the early years or whatever you want to share. Well, my dad was a pastor in Brighton, Michigan, and I grew up just a great childhood. I have one uh, younger sister, biological sister, and then one sort of adopted sister. And um, we had just a wonderful childhood. Um, We were very blessed and accepted Christ at an early age. So young, I honestly don't even remember doing it. He's just always been a part of my life. Uh, But as I grew, I very much thought that I had God completely figured out. And (laughs) I battled legalism. So I thought that it was, my focus was all on personal accountability and responsibility. I didn't understand anything about grace. So as I grew, God to me was very judgmental and harsh and angry. And I always felt like he was just sitting far off, wait, watching me, waiting for me to screw up. And if I did good, he would send a blessing. If I did bad, he would send a curse. And it was such a cycle of defeat. And it was that's an awful way to live. I thriving. felt that way. And people listening, oh. if, if this is you, keep listening because Keely doesn't live like this anymore. Oh, I can not tell you. I, for years, always felt like I had to earn God's approval and I could never just rest in him. And now his rest is where I live all the time. <laughs> and it is the most freeing and victorious way to live, even in defeating circumstances. So um, I 
went to Bible college and uh, met my husband while I was in Bible college. He was a businessman and he was six years older. We got married when I was 22 and he was a multimillionaire and he was a Christian. So, you know, yay, Jesus. I thought I did something good. And he sent me a multimillionaire <laughs> to marry. And uh, very quickly, we had three uh, three daughters in three years. And uh, life kind of took on um, a role of very mechanical. There was no concept of God's grace. Mm -hmm. So I was saved. Not a doubt in my mind I was saved. But there was no victory to life or or understanding of how much God loved me. So we started having, uh, you know, marital problems about seven years in. And then we started having financial problems and it culminated in us losing everything. Um, so we had an 8,000 square foot house and, you know, there were factories and businesses. We cashed out all of our 401k and savings and stocks. We sold everything to try to save the business. And we ended up losing everything. And when, um, when it went bad, there were there were lawsuits and death threats. Uh, at one point, my husband uh, received some pictures in the mail of me walking out of Rite Aid. And in it in red was written, we know who you are and we know where your family lives. Whoa. So I loaded up the girls and we headed out of town. And it was just a horrible time. And wow. so we ended up my husband said, you know what, I, I just, I want to leave this state and never come back. So like I said, we lost everything. We lost our house to foreclosure. We packed up a van and a Jeep, our clothes and dishes. We had a cat and three, three uh, car seats for the kids. That's how young they were. And wow. uh, we moved to San Diego. We went out there. We didn't know a soul. We rented an apartment and we got out there and we just, it, it's like I just crashed. And it felt like, you know, we looked at each other and we're like, okay, now what? You know, we we were so broken that yeah. I didn't even know where to start. And um, San Diego? Of, uh, my husband had always wanted to move to California and actually had a job in L.A., when he graduated from college and his dad hmm. said, give me a year in the business, the family business. If you don't like it, you're free to go. You have my blessing. So he did his year, but before the year was up, his dad developed cancer. Hmm. So he got pulled into a business that he really didn't even want to be in from the beginning. Oh, wow. So um, he said, we basically wanted to get out of snow. And we thought, <laughs> well, well, you did. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we lost everything. We, we had a huge estate sale and it's like, well, where are we going? And just like, I want to go to San Diego. Like, okay. I mean, there was no plan to it. We were actually really running is what we were doing. But when we got out there, it's just like, I just shut down. It felt like somebody went inside of me and flipped off the power switch. And I just withdrew from the world. Wow. And I started having uh, severe anxiety attacks. It was getting harder and harder for me to be out when I was alone. Um, it felt like somebody had taken a belt and wrapped it around my soul and just pulled it like three sizes too tight. And I could never breathe. And um, are you having any issues? I... My screen is blinking. Yeah, your screen is doing something weird. Okay. So um, so it felt like I had this belt around my soul and it was just pulled and I couldn't even, like I just took a deep breath. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do that. I was so broken. And I would wake up in the middle of the night in the midst of a panic attack. And I felt this heaviness, this pressure just pushing me down. And I couldn't even lift my hand and wake up my husband. I was paralyzed in fear wow and it culminated um and the depression was just overwhelming it culminated in a trip to the bank and i was walking up the um the sidewalk 
And I felt the panic attack coming on. And I'm like, look, just make the deposit and get home. As I was walking up, it hit me so fast that I went down. And I was uh, on the sidewalk. There were two rows of hedges. So I crawled in between them. And I had my cell phone. And I called my husband. And I'm like, I'm laying in the bushes at the bank. And I think I'm down. He's like, you're having an anxiety attack. Just breathe. And I laid there for about five minutes. And then I crawled to the van, climbed up in the van, drove home, got into bed, and I didn't get up for two and a half years. And I two worked and a half home. years. I'm going to pause here for our listeners two. to take that in. Two and, it and was. a half years is a long time to be suffering here. So if you are suffering from depression, panic attacks, anxiety, and you feel like you're alone, you are not. Hear the rest of no. Keely's story because she got the victory over it. It took a long time, but she did. It it was, and of everything that we've gone through, um, and you'll you know hear more of it coming up, it was the only time in my life I didn't have hope. I had lost all hope. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to die. Now, I was never suicidal. But when the enemy gets our hope, from us, then that any expectation of God coming in and doing something in your life, you just lose it. Now, the um, the ironic part of this is I was still a Christian and I could, if I was with Jeff or the girls or a friend, I could go out in public and I put a smile on my face and I joked and I laughed. Nobody knew what was going on at home. And there were um, a few times I tried to share with other Christian women what I was going through. And they would say, and they meant well, but the responses I got back were, oh, honey, you just have to cast your cares. You know, just cast your cares. Jesus doesn't want you to fear. You know, there's 365 do not fears in the Bible which I don't know is true or not, but I heard it multiple times. And I'm like, yes. I've heard that too. I know I'm not supposed to fear. And I know I'm supposed to cast my cares and renew my mind. But how do you do that? How do I cast my cares when I'm so frozen in fear, I can't even move my hand. So that is really, that question is what my ministry was born out of. And so it got, it got so bad where after uh, two and a half years, I basically just said, you know what, God? And I wrote this in my journal. I don't think you can screw up my life any worse than I have. So I'm going to try it your way for 30 days. I gave him 30 days. And I said, if after 30 days, I don't see an improvement. I'm taking back control. But for the next 30 days, I am going to choose to believe that you love me and that even though my life is a mess, you have a good plan for my life. And and I did. Um, now, I had, and I missed a couple things. Uh, what, this happened when I was two and a half years in bed back in um, the early 2000s when my kids were in elementary school and we were in San Diego and people still, my sister, a couple good friends would reach out and they're like, okay, we know something's weird. What's going on. And as soon as they would try to ask, I would almost hang up on them. I didn't want to even discuss it. So um, basically I realized that um, one day I just, I was laying on the floor crying again calling out to God, writing in my journal, you know, same old things. God, why, where are you? Why is my life such a mess? And now when I say I heard him, I heard him in my spirit. I didn't hear him audibly. I just heard him say, you know what? There's nothing more I can do for you. I'm like, what? He said, I've, I've sent my son. And if you were the only person on earth, 
I would have still sent my son. That's how much I love you. But I did not send my son for you to live a life of mediocrity. I've got so much more for you. You've made it to the cross. You're saved. Now it's time to move past the cross into a victorious life. And I was like, God, I don't know what to do. I said, um, you know, I don't know what to do. At that point, I was so ignorant of everything regarding how the spiritual realm works that I didn't realize that I was in a spiritual war. And I was getting my butt kicked all over the place. I was losing horribly. And during this time, God, I would hear my voice flip during these these really dark years. And I'd take my Bible. And I don't know if you've ever done this. Close my eyes, take my Bible and go. And whatever, wherever my finger went, I would point and I would, or I would close my eyes, take my Bible, put it in front of me. And then I would just let it fall open. And I would just take my finger and point on the page. Then I would open my eyes. And wherever, whatever verse it would land on, I would think that was a word from God. And I will tell you, during this time, he used this over and over to answer specific questions I had said or written in my journal. Wow, so that's so I fortunate because I've um, done that and it's gone well and I've done that and it's gone poorly. But I one thing I see different that you did that I would like to pause and point out because I've done it both ways. Because I yes. used to open up my Bible and it would open up to all the woe to yous and how I was going to hell oh. and all the terrible, awful yep. things. And it just added to my trauma. But after when I was pursuing him, after he had apprehended me and I started just reaching for help with out of a genuine heart, which is faith. But sometimes people yes. get hung up on that word faith. But it seems to me that's what you were doing. You were reaching for him. Okay, God, I don't know how to do this. So yeah. how about we do this? And you're reaching so I, for him doing that. So it seems to me that he took that as an act of faith. And so he's like, oh, you give me an inch, I'm going to give you a mile. And honestly, it was during those dark years. And, and I love the flip, okay? But once I started to get my healing a several years down the road, I was still wanting to do the flip. And I started going to, it was always Isaiah and a woe is me, okay? Or Job. I kept going to Job. I, and I avoided the book of Job with everything in me. <laughs> Finally, he said, no. He said, we used the flip when, when you needed it. But you are healing now. The word is your weapon. Learn how to use it. And so I got a concordance and I got some different tools that I used and I started learning how to use the word. And that's really what my ministry is about, how I took the promises in scripture and I brought them into my everyday life and I started to make changes. So um, during this time, I cried out to him and I said, all right, God, um, and I had been in bed for two and a half years and our, our house was just, or our apartment was a pit of depression and darkness. I said, I don't know how, show me. And I heard flip and it went to Jer uh, Nehemiah 4, 13 and 14 in the message. And, um, and this is when they were trying to rebuild the wall. It's a great book, but I had just asked God, I don't know what to do and how to do it. And this is what uh, the verse says. So I stationed armed guards at the most vulnerable places of the wall. They were being attacked while they were trying to rebuild the wall, physically attacked um, and assigned people by families with their swords. Um, after looking things over, I stood up and spoke to them and said, do not be afraid of them. Put your minds on the master, great and awesome, and then fight. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So I'm like, okay, don't be afraid. Put my mind on the master and fight. And I wrote away, right away, there's like, okay, a three-point plan for me. Well, number one, I'm afraid. And I don't know how not to be afraid. He said, that's okay. Do it afraid. We're working on it together. 
just do it afraid. And then put your mind on me. I'm like, oh, I can do that. I had no idea how out of control my thoughts were. <laughs> no idea until I started to control them. And no idea how many negative thoughts I had. And then fight, fight for your brothers. And I didn't even know what that involved. But I thought, okay, how do I, how do, I do this? He said, get up and make your bed. Do your laundry. I'm like, that doesn't sound like anything really, you know, spiritual or victorious. And I had so many things at the at the time. We were battling the IRS with into um, six figures, and it was every day we would get not every day, but when we would get notices from the IRS, it'd be like ten of them that I'd have to sign. It was just a nightmare. I'm like, how is this going to fix anything? He's like, you do what you can in the natural. I'll take care of what you can't. And so he said, every day, I want you to get up. I want you to get dressed and I want you to make your bed. And that's where it started. Um, if I slept in a t-shirt and shorts, when I got up, I changed into a t-shirt and shorts. I never stay in the same thing that I slept in because internally I needed something that said, Okay, you know what? It's daytime now. Time to be up. Now, if you've never battled depression like that, you you don't understand. To, to a lot of people, it's like, what's so difficult for that? But for me, it was a huge victory. First thing I do is make my bed because I need to know, okay, it's made. That means don't go back into it until your pajamas are on and you're ready to go to bed. Um <laughs> You know, open the blinds, simple stuff that um, every day I still do to this day. Now it's habit. I never battle depression. But you know what? I get up. First thing I do is get dressed. Um, And I won't make my bed if my husband's still in it, which a lot of times he is, because I'll wake up at, you know, five in the morning. Um, But I'll make I'll tidy my side of it. And um so that's really where it started. And so long story short, um, the girls and I ended up in 2010 coming back to California. My husband stayed there. He was working. But really, we weren't coming back separated. to Michigan, you mean? We came back to Michigan. Yes, I'm sorry. That was um, fine. <laughs> we actually, they came back for two weeks. And we ended up, in, and I stayed. They came back to visit family. We ended up having a huge fight. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. And I packed a bag and I came back to Michigan and we, the girls and I never went back. And it was the most bizarre thing, but it was like, you know what? All of my girls are out of California right now. This is my chance to get home. And life was a mess. We didn't have anywhere to live. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a car. Now we had family and friends, so we weren't on the street, but you know, everything was just a mess. And slowly we started to put our life back together. And um, eventually in 2012, my husband came back to Michigan. We live here now in Clarkston and our marriage is better than ever. We've rebuilt. But um, that's what the ministry came out of, is how I got um, out of that depression. Now, I will tell you that I did during that time go on medication. Um, I did not have good luck with it because my depression was not from like a chemical imbalance or it wasn't. Now I mistreated my body during that time, but, um, and I didn't eat well and I wasn't exercising and all of that, which can contribute to depression. But my depression was really circumstantial. And um, it wasn't until I, I did renew my mind and just fall into God that he put my life back together in a way that I never envisioned. I, in a million years, I would have never come up with it. And um, so we do the ministry now. And that's what my, uh, I wrote a Bible study, which I'm going to get published uh, from pieces to piece. That is my journey through uh, my depression, not mm. just what I did, but how I did. Mm -hmm. with exercises and forms and lists and 
you know, fill this out, do this. And it's actually how I applied scripture and what I was doing was spiritual warfare. Um, and then as I've learned more about how the kingdom works, I look back and all of that, the Holy Spirit taught me. I didn't get that from any books. That was all given to me by the Holy Spirit. What I did was I went back through my journal and I looked at everything that I did and I turned it into a Bible study. There you go. And so I was teaching that um, up until we came into the next phase. Yeah. And your daughter went on this ministry with you. You started it by yourself, but then you ended up getting your daughter Amber into it with yes. you because then she becomes a part of the act two of the story. Now, yes. Right. So we are, you, we, had that, we are you guys team. would travel around doing that and then COVID hit the world. And then yes. tell us about your, your new COVID story. So we, um yes, we were doing this together. She was more behind the scenes and she was my tech person. She would teach once in a while, but I really did all the speaking and teaching. And um, uh, COVID hit me in uh, December of 2021. I was uh, admitted. I started getting sick mid-November, and um, but didn't slow down and take care of my body like you know we know we're supposed to. And Amber took me to the uh, emergency. December 1st, she drove me uh, for what we thought was going to be a couple days stay. Um, I was admitted um, immediately. And that would be the first time, the last time that I saw my family for 22 days. Um, I was admitted into uh, the ICU. As soon as they took my vitals, they took us back. Some people had been sitting there for 11 hours waiting to get seen. I wasn't even in the waiting room for 30 minutes. And I had no idea how sick I was. Um, immediately I was put on a BiPAP machine and um, I was in the ICU um, and heavily sedated. So a lot of it, I, I don't remember, but when they would lift the sedation, I remember all of that very clearly. And um, the doctor, I remember um, at one point, he they lifted the medication, the sedation, and he said, we really need to put you on the vent. And I said, no, because at this time with the media, you know, yeah. all we heard in the media was if you get put on a vent, you don't come off. Yeah. I remember hearing and that so, so much. The media yes. was just throwing all the fear out at everybody. And yeah, oh, you were horrible. in there. You have all the different days. You had 115 days. Was that the ICU? Total. No, that was not the ICU. That was from in the hospital. urgent care to, um, to rehab. Yeah, that's so a lot of days, went, 115 days. I just want to pause and uh, let people take yeah. that in. 115 days, this part of the story. Before I went home. Yeah, it it was, it was, I look back and sometimes it still seems like a dream. Yeah. Um. So I, um, when the doctor brought up the vent to me, I said, no, absolutely not. And he left. And before they sedated me again, I thought, you know what? This might not end the way we want it to. I might not come home. And so I texted out instructions to my husband. I sent individual texts all to him for my family and friends. And I said, if I don't come home, send these out. And then I sent a group text to my family. And I said to my kids, my son-in-laws and, um, and my husband. And I said, Hey guys, I still believe in healing. You know, I'm not giving up, but um, no matter what happens, no matter what, you always fall into Jesus. Never turn from him. And immediately they started panicking because it was kind of a goodbye text uh -huh. without saying goodbye. Yeah, I could see and, how that um, would spark fear in everybody's heart. What are you oh, talking about? They <laughs> lost it. And immediately my one daughter texted back and said, it's, are you giving up? You promised me you will not give up. And I said, I promise you, I will not quit fighting. But no matter what, you stick with Jesus. And um, so on December 22nd, the family finally got to come in and see me. And um, they, 
I don't, I don't really remember that. I started to get very sick. December 22nd, 23rd, 24th, I was doing better and I was improving. Then on the 25th, all of a sudden, I was not doing well at all. My x-rays showed that my lungs were almost completely clouded. Uh, and my temperature spiked to 107.8. And um, they couldn't get it, they couldn't get it down. And uh, visiting hours were over at 8 p.m. So usually around 11 p.m. every night, the kids were all at our house with my husband. The doctors would call. And that night, December 25th, the doctors did not call. And so uh, finally, my husband called. They said, oh, he's bedside with a patient. He said, okay, I'll talk to him tomorrow. So didn't think anything of it. At 4 a.m., the phone rings. And it was phone the calls doctor. are not happy phone calls. Never. And my daughter was actually up, um, who lived uh, with us, was up at the time, downstairs, pacing, praying in the family room. She heard the phone ring and she knew it was bad. And they said, well, your your wife is alive now, um, but uh, she did have a cardiac event. And are you going to be here tomorrow, you know, or later today? We'll go over everything with you. Um, you know, and they said we did lose, lose her from between three to approximately seven minutes. Um, but she's alive now. The next 24 to 48 hours are going to be very telling. And so my husband was there right at 8 a.m. And he found out that um, I was dead for almost seven minutes. And um, that they were just going to have to wait and see. Said most likely there was brain damage, but it was too, only time would tell with that. Right. And there, you know, uh, most likely would be organ failure. So uh, I, during that time, was very much alive just not here. Um, I clearly remember um, what happened. There was no light or tunnel. It was just immediately, I was on a dirt road walking with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And the colors were so vibrant. And it was, it was so peaceful. Uh, there were there was a forest on the left. There was this huge grass covered hill on the right with a split rail fence around it and an opening in the fence. And we were just talking. And honestly, I do not remember what we were talking about. It wasn't that it it was like this, you know, you always picture what it's going to be like. And I'm like, well, I'm going to ask this, 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 this. <laughs> it wasn't anything like that. We were just walking and talking. And as we approached the opening in the gate or, or the fence, I saw two figures that were running on the hill. One went up to the top of the hill. The other one came down to the, to the uh, opening. And it was a special needs lady that I took care of. Actually, my daughters took care of her also. We took care of her for, for 10 years. And she had unexpectedly passed away in 2020. Um, she became a part of the family. And she was in a wheelchair, could not talk. She was nonverbal. Um, but we always thought that she understood everything that was going on. And she um, looked exactly like she did only her her she had a very um her teeth were straight where before they were not straight she had a severe scoliosis where she was uh curved where she was bent over her spine was perfectly straight her feet were healed and she was running barefoot where before she wore braces and her feet wow. um were turned in and she ran up to the opening she looks at me she smiles she goes come on in keely it's great that's the first thing i've ever heard her say and she used my name wow. and she ran up the hill i had goosebumps all over <laughs> and i i turned to look at jesus and immediately i knew some things my now my daughter um was pregnant my youngest daughter with our first grandson which we knew about 
before I went into the hospital. Mm -hmm. They actually did a gender reveal in our front yard in the rain um, outside because they didn't want to come in because I was sick and we didn't know, you know, Mm -hmm. what I had. So, uh, but so I knew she was pregnant. So when, um, after she said that, Jesus turned to me and said, you've got your choice. You can either stay or you could go back. And immediately I knew my daughter was pregnant with my first grandchild. I knew that the choice was totally mine. I could stay and he would be fine with it. I could go back and he would be fine with it. Um, I couldn't disappoint him with either. Mm -hmm. I knew that if I went back, um, I knew that I would not be completely healed physically, that it was going to be a journey for my physical healing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I knew that I was dead. Uh, And I remembered that I promised that I would not quit fighting. And I said, you know what, I want to stay. But I promised I would not quit fighting. So I've got to go back. And he said, Okay, we've got work to do. And I went back and the doctor said that when they got me back, it was like my body did a reset or a reboot. And I did not have, even with 107.8 fever, which I didn't even know you could go that high. Me either. I did not, <laughs> I did not seize once. I have no organ damage. Um, I had, um, I, I was still sedated. But when I woke up, it was actually January 8th. I opened my eyes and I was like, okay, time to get out of bed. And there was a nurse in the room. And I was like, I was like, what day is it? She's like, it's January 8th. I'm like, what happened to December? I had no idea. Wow. And when I woke up, I was paralyzed from the chest down and from the elbows up to the shoulder. So I could only move my, my hands and my head, basically. And the doctors were like, well, we, we hope you're going to get it back. But, you know, there's no way to know. And um, although I do have COVID brain somewhat, or just even before COVID, I was forgetting things all the time. Um, I still have a little bit of that. There was no brain damage. And I, um, I did not lose my hands. Now, my daughter, one of the things that I always taught was when you are doing spiritual warfare, you praise in the midst of the pain. And I would put on my my praise music. This was back when I was in bed. And I would do, I had like a playlist. Um, and I would put it on because you don't have to do anything other than just enter into that. Mm-hmm. You know, I do, I do not sing at all. Um, so I would, I started have using that as a weapon um, to defeat the enemy. And my daughter knew the importance of that for me. So back on December 22nd, as soon as they could get in, she did a playlist on Spotify. Mm -hmm. And the nurses kept it going 24 hours a day. And we have pictures from the ICU of me. And I was in restraints because I would pull my my tubing out all the time. You were on the vent in there somewhere too, right? I was on the vent. Because last last in the story, the doctor said, we need to put you on the vent. And you're like, no, when did you end up on the vent? Um, They put me, I went on the vent. um, What day was that? I went on the vent December 13th was when they put me on the vent. They had called my husband and said, okay, we want to put her on the vent. She said, no. And he said, but I'm telling you, either she goes on the vent or she dies. And I went on the vent and I was on, you know, 100% um, oxygen. And um, and then I was, they did a trade. After so many days, you can only be on the vent for so many days. Then it starts to damage your vocal cords. Mm-hmm. So on um, January 5th, they did a trade. So then the the vent goes through your through your trach and your throat, mm. and um, 
I woke up January 8th. Or I'm sorry, Jan yeah, January 8th. And and during even when I was sedated, I would lift my hands in praise. We've got a picture in the ICU where I'm sedated, and you can actually see the um restraint. So I could only lift my hands up from my elbows. Mm -hmm. But what we figured out later is the reason I did not lose my hands is because I kept using them yeah. that entire time. Mm -hmm. So to everyone out there in a storm, in a trial, I would say, even when you don't feel like it and you don't see anything in the natural, you lift your hand and you get your praise on because healing happens in the spiritual realm when we praise God. Mm -hmm. And if I would now, I have, Drop foot in my left foot. So today is January 24th of 2023. So for all of 2022, up until Thanksgiving of last year, I could not move my left foot at all. I'm in a brace. There was no movement to my calf or my foot. A couple days before Thanksgiving, all of a sudden I'm like, I think I feel a muscle. And the doctor said, you know, it can take two years for your body to heal. And every day I would look at my feet and I would say, okay, I might not be able to feel you, but no matter where you go today, you are, God is turning it into holy ground and you are taking authority over everything, everywhere you go. And, um, and sure enough, my foot is coming back. I'm still in a brace. Can't move my toes yet but I'm starting to get pain in my left foot, which is a good thing because the nerves are waking up. Wow. So, um, but if I would have lost my hands, which most people did who had it that extreme, my recovery would have been, I would have been reliant. I couldn't have fed myself. I could do nothing. So I am so thankful that I maintained my hands um, and kept using them in praise. So, um, but for those that are in a dark place, you know, when the enemy steals our hope, basically what we're doing is we are putting our faith in Satan, saying, Satan, no matter what God could do for me, I believe you're more powerful and can harm me more than God can help me. Yeah, we never think of it that way, but I see what you're it's, saying about in the spirit in the realm kind of yeah. thing. But we, I'm, I'd be horrified at the thought of me saying that or being aware of that. So I just want to pause here because I don't want to freak anybody out <laughs> because yeah. we can, our our behavior reflects things. And so the Lord will open our eyes to, well, what you're doing, even though you don't know that you're doing that, this is what you're mm -hmm. doing. So I want to pause her to say that because Keely is not saying, you know, that people are intentionally doing that. It's more like Absolutely God not. revealing that is like, this is what's happening where you can't see. And if we'll listen yes. to him saying, well, when you're doing that, it's doing this. And oh, you'll go, oh, yeah, let me, and then just do what he let tells me expound. you to do. <laughs> let me expound a little bit because I don't want to imply if you have fear in your life, you're a Satanist. Okay. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the power that is operating in our life, that's motivating us. It's only one of two sources. It's only, it's either going to be God or it's going to be the enemy. Okay. Now. We have habits that we can, just bad habits where our flesh takes over and we do these things, that it's more we just have to break those habits. But when we're dealing with how we choose to live our life, we're either going to live it under the control of God or the control of the enemy. There's only two teams. Now, you can be saved, but still being influenced by the enemy, which is how I lived, well, my 20s, my 30s, some of my 40s, where I was so fearful, that was that was the controlling and motivating 
factor in my life was my fear. And it dictated everything. And then so Grace basically showed during up. those then Grace showed up in your life oh, with the whole thing you, with Jesus. the Lord, with the what'll I do? And he said the flip, and you're doing this yep. weird thing. And I just want to highlight the grace is the bridge between that. Because we say, no, yes. I'm not choosing this. I'm choosing God, but I'm in that I don't know how in the middle part. And that's where the grace teaches us. That's what the Bible tells us, the grace of God that teaches us. And he will teach us how to do what he's called us to do. There was when I, and I don't think we have time to uh, go over actually how God broke the fear in my life. Um, but during that time, I, I was like, God, you know what? I, I don't, I don't want to fear. My biggest problem was I did not understand God's true character. Mm -hmm. And I had put so much focus on the enemy. Wherever we put our focus, that's what's going to control our lives. Mm -hmm. Well, you so had all that I, legalism, you said, which that is horrible. really the enemy's territory kind of thing. Absolutely. So what really what I did was I started instead of worrying about the enemy and everything that he could do, you know, and all the fears of, you know, getting sick or, you know, not having enough money or, you know, rejection or ever, all those fears. That's all the enemy's territory. So um, I started focusing on God and learning his true nature. And the more I focused on him, the less time I spent thinking about the enemy. Amen. So it was a gradual turning mm -hmm. from the enemy to making God my, my focus. And um, in spiritual warfare, we don't have to defeat the enemy. Christ defeated him. Oh, right. Course. He already that. We just have to he is defeated. learn how to live. <laughs> we have to defeat in our lives is we have to defeat, have to defeat the lies of the enemy because his only power is in getting us to believe lies about ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where his power is and his ability to distort God's tr true character. Mm -hmm. So, and we don't even realize the lies that we're believing about ourselves mm -hmm. until we start to keep track. You know, I didn't realize how my mind was always focused on the negative and this expectation of the worst happening. Mm -hmm. And see, I'm going to pause there. Yeah. Because that's something that it took me a while to get this. And so I'm going to pause for our listeners. You said all that negative and you had an expectation. So mm -hmm. what was happening there, and I had this so much, that's faith. That's faith in the negative. You're yep. exercising faith in that negative. And we, we we need so much redoing on the inside. And I just want to bring oh. up the grace again. You said you don't, yep. we can't get into all the details. I know that with how God broke that fear, but I think you did cover it with the simplification of it is, you know, by faith, you reached out with just a genuine yep. heart by faith. You made that choice to believe that God was good. And that what was the second thing you chose? God was good. And that was, um, I don't remember what I said. <laughs> oh, oh, that you mean as far as that I chose? In yeah, you chose way back before you got out oh, of bed. Oh, right. Before I even, early in the ministry, when God was, um, oh, I was going to choose. I was choosing to believe that he loved me. He's a good guy. That was the other one. And yeah. he loves okay. me. And he has a good plan for my life. Yeah, those are the two things. See, you made those two pre-choices. Yes. You yep. used your faith in that gracious little childlike way of God, I don't know how. And then when you were dead, you made yep. a choice to honor your promise to your daughter. So I think yep. th those are things, our faith and our choices. And God just comes rushing in with his grace to carry us oh. from what I've heard someone say from that amen to the, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He leads with grace. Mm -hmm. He leads with grace. And, and um, I, I will tell you that while I was going through my feeling from the depression and the fear mm -hmm. and the anxiety, there was no, no condemnation because, you know, as Christians, we always hear God doesn't want us to fear. 
So what if we're fearing, well, I'm a bad Christian, I'm a failure, you know, Been there. Stuff. I was there so before. During that time, God kept saying to me, no, we are, we are working on that. I am doing something in you mm. and just do it afraid. Now, after I was broken from it, um, there was maybe six years down the road, a situation came up where it was that old fear again, because I was fearing homes. Mm. I was sure I was going to be under a bridge with my kids in sleeping bags. Okay. And, and here's the thing about fear. This is one thing I want to say. If you have a loved one who is going through it, um, it's not necessarily going to make sense or be rational. Just because it's not rational doesn't mean it's not real to them. Mm-hmm. Because realistically we have family here we were never going to be under a bridge Mm -hmm. but that fear motivated me Mm -hmm. and controlled my waking moments for years so god broke that of me okay and then we circle into the covid when you were in the covid thing because i want to pull your 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 lesson from there into that Yes. Highlight yes, so, that because you didn't have that fear when you were in no, the hospital and you were going through I that had whole no, thing. You didn't have any of that because he had broken no. that off of you. And there was like about six years after he broke it off of me, we were renting a house and we found out the house was for sale. Immediately that fear came back. We're going to be homeless again. And in my spirit, almost as fast, I heard the spirit say again, not audibly, but just in my spirit. No. I proved myself to you once. I, we broke that off of you. Do not go back and pick it up. There Amen. was grace when God was healing me of it initially. But then after he had healed me of it, so many people turn around and go back into their their brokenness or their bondage. God said, no, from here on out, no fear. So all of those decisions that I had made pre-COVID were the foundation for how I moved forward with COVID because when I look back on it, you know, when I, I mean, I could do nothing for myself. When I came home, I was in a wheelchair. I could take at the most four or five steps with help. So now you're with your family. You, I couldn't, I couldn't even go to the bathroom by myself. I can't get food by myself. I could feed myself. I couldn't be left alone. I can't breathe on my own. When your body does not do what it's supposed to do, it's a very alarming, um, Mm -hmm. it's a very alarming uh, just situation to be in. And when I was trying to wean off the vent in COVID, I had panic attacks then. I do want to be clear about this because there was an incident where I kept saying, I'm not getting any oxygen. I'm not getting any oxygen. They thought it was just anxiety. So the therapist was looking at me going, just breathe, just breathe. And I ended up passing out. So when they pulled out the trach, they found that the tubing was all clogged. And I actually wasn't getting oxygen. But what it did is my anxiety went through the roof. Because anytime I would start to try to breathe on my own, and I couldn't, I would panic. So they did, they did put me back on medication. And as my body was getting stronger, the enemy was just pounding me with, see, you taught this no fear. Here you have this ministry. It doesn't work. You know, you're nothing but a hypocrite. And weaning off of the vent was the most difficult thing that I did through this whole process. And now, and it's ironic because back when I was so depressed, you know, I told you I couldn't take deep breaths. Mm -hmm. It, you know, like I couldn't even breathe in God or the enemy was trying to steal my breath. Then when I came home from rehab in um, March of end of March of 22, my lung capacity was at 30%. And they were talking about a double lung transplant as a worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. So um, in April, I was at 30%. In October, I tested at 47%. And just last week, I tested at 61%. Woohoo! So 
This is the second time in my life the enemy has tried to steal my breath from me in my words. Because if you can't breathe well, it's very difficult to speak. Mm -hmm. And what do I want to do? I want to tell everybody about Jesus. So which goes um, perfectly I, into what's what's on your agenda going forward now that you're you know still you're still in your healing thing, but you have yes. plans going forward. So share with our audience our, your plans going forward. We are before we were mainly doing women's events. Now we are starting to get into churches um to share the the COVID story. Um we've got a couple seminars, actually uh three-day women's retreats that we're gonna be doing, which I love because I love teaching also uh, some different exercises that I did, how I applied the word. Mm -hmm. So I can do that. Sunday morning, we really just have time for the COVID story. Um, a couple things that we always like to stress um, is if you don't, if you haven't decided who Jesus is in your life, uh, decide now. Decide that he's a good God. Get into the word. Get to know him. Um, just because you're saved doesn't necessarily mean that we automatically have this relationship with him. Just like a relationship with a person, you've got to you've got to pursue it and and you know feed into it. Mm -hmm. And so get to know Jesus, get to know his true character and God, um, and decide once you decided. When I was in the ICU, I had already decided God was a good God and he was for me. So I never questioned that because mm -hmm. that question had been settled in my mind. So I could fall into him. And I will tell you that during that time in the ICU, the presence of the Holy Spirit overwhelmed me. It felt like I was laying in the arms of Jesus and there was no fear. It was so peaceful. Um, and God will do that for everybody. If you have loved ones in the ICU, I would just, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit shows up. It doesn't matter whether they believe in him, whether he shows up for everybody. Because scripture says God is not a respecter of persons. Amen. Now, whether they choose to fall into him or not, that's still completely up to them. Right. Um, if you are, if you want to know how to pray in certain circumstances, for people and pray and encourage them because the thing about fear is it's so overpowering. It just comes in and it, you don't hear anything else, mm -hmm. but God doesn't come in like that. So you kind of have to just calm yourself and you have to really look for him and he will show up. So um, encourage people. I also personally believe that a lot of people are given a choice whether they want to return or not. Uh, I, with my, I have three daughters that I love and we have so much fun together. There was still in a very, a part of me that wanted to stay. So if you had been praying for a miracle for someone and they died, I mean, they might've been given the chance and chose to stay. So if you're dealing with anger, feeling like God took somebody from you, it could have been their choice. Um, he is a God of free will. And he, I can't believe that I am the only one that was given a choice to return or to stay. So uh, very much God is a good God and he loves you. And the the most powerful thing about him, I think, the thing that's overwhelming to me is no matter how hopeless things seem. And mind you now, in my journal, I would write, I did this more than once, a list of all my problems. And then I wrote down recommendations for how, how God could fix them. Um, mainly it was, you know, about my husband. But <laughs> um, it wasn't until I stopped trying to take control and say, okay, you know what, God? You've got control. Maybe I'm let God be to God. Believe you, <laughs> and He doesn't need me to rule the world. Who knew? You know. <laughs> so, um, just when the enemy steals our hope, it's so dark. Mm -hmm. But you might not see a way. But just because you don't see a way, God's not stopped. He can connect us with 
provision and resources and things that we would never imagine. But when we let him be the one and we put our hope in him, not in our circumstances, we can hope in that. And that's where your freedom comes into and your rest. Yes. So you can rest. Rest so and grace. That is, and making choices. Yes. Yes. So we're trying, we're going into churches right now where I'm not traveling. Um, We hope to be traveling soon, but right now we're doing like in the metro Detroit Tri-County area. Actually, Michigan, we do have one in Ohio, so local to Michigan hmm. right now. And uh, my daughter normally does it with me. We have a video that we've done of um, the journey through like the ICU and that. Oh, that that video and is is amazing. I have seen this video. It is amazing. It, it's a it's a nice way to like show it in a real short time. It's like four minutes, um, and then we just sit and talk. And uh, my daughter tells their side of the story because when you go through something like this. It's not just my story. It's also my family's story. Mm-hmm. And truthfully, I think they have more trauma from it than I do. Yeah, um, I can believe because that. Because <laughs> when I came back, even though I wasn't physically healed, emotionally, I was 110% better than I've ever been. Wow. So, um, so and then you have that book that you're going to be bringing out too, right? You're working I on your book. I am doing a book, yes. Yeah, I am doing a book title is we're debating i made the mistake of asking opinions and now i don't know what i'm doing well that's but, fine until um, you publish it it doesn't need it until you publish it you yeah. can change it so we're I had two pages right of now. possible titles for my first book i didn't know what to title it and then all of a sudden i knew yeah i that's how it was with my bible study that i wrote all of a sudden i knew so i am getting the book done and uh and then the book in the bible study will uh, be two different uh, two different stories. The Bible study is really the entire journey from my depression to healing, mm-hmm. and uh, and then the other book will be more of more of like a story time. The oh, Bible so. study is actually getting the whole focus of the Bible study is for you to get into the Word and find answers for yourself. Wow! So how can people because connect God with you if they want us. you to come to their church or? They want to hear more about your book. How can people connect with you? Um, I do have a website. Um, it's my uh, my name.com, K-E-L-I-H-I-L-L-I-E-R.com. Um, and I also, uh, you can reach me. There's a contact form through that. Uh, you can call me, 586-267-7833. And I'd love to speak with you. We do come to churches for a love offering, and uh, we very much uh, love what we're doing. We're having a blast with it, and we actually laugh a lot. It's kind of a heavy topic, but we true we do try to interject humor in it, so it's not just this you know heavy time where you cry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we do we because we do like to laugh and have a good time. Oh yeah, laughter is um, good medicine. We even did laughing today, right? Yes. You know what? If you actually one of the chapters is choosing wisely, choosing life in the ICU, uh, laughter in the wheelchair and love in a troubled world. Mm. So because that's my one lesson. The kindness of Jesus changed. me. Mm. He was so kind. And so that's the one thing that I came away with. Uh, My motto in life now is love more, speak less, be kind. Because uh, we can talk about the love of Jesus all we want, but if you're not kind, you know, you're, yeah. it, we're missing it in the kindness right. department if we're not leading with kindness and grace. So that's really how it's changed because I was a little bit harsh before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got that in the story. and But it's, yeah. I see the change. I hear there the change. There was a harshness there. Yes. So, and um, that's how God changes us. He makes us like a little teddy bear that we're, yeah. we just comfort people. Cause that's what the Holy Spirit's name is. One of his names is comforter. And I didn't know him yes. as a comforter. That was just a name he had. And then God gave me the revelation that that's a characteristic about him because he's a comforter. Yeah. He comforts Absolutely. us. It was just a name to me like Paul or Brett or something before. It didn't mean anything. Well, 
you know, and when you when you come out of trauma mm -hmm. and brokenness, it's very hard to you develop a hardness and comforting and gentleness and all of that. I remember seeing I saw at one point when I was at, at my worst, I saw a husband being very gentle or a wife being gentle. Anyway, a couple, they were being gentle with each other, you know, nothing weird or anything, just kind. And it physically hurt because it, it was like, it hit that, that broken hardness mm -hmm. in me. And, um, God, you know, scripture says it's God's kindness that leads people towards repentance. Amen. And, so I There's say, also one in the Psalms that says that your gentleness has made me great. Yes, it's so true. That's the God that that the world needs. Amen. That's, That's the, the one that, that I know need. now. I yes. knew that harsh, yep. evil, terrible one before that doesn't exist, but it's <laughs> sold out there. And yeah. a lot of people believe that. And so we are breaking that because we're sharing the truth of God's love and kindness. So thank you for being with us today, Keely. Thank you for sharing thank your you story for having with my, me. my audience. Thank you for making me do a podcast. <laughs> this was fun. Oh, wonderful. And thank you. Oh, my beloved Victoria souls. I love you so much. Thank you for listening to us today. Until next time, I love you. Thank you so much for listening to the Victorious Souls Podcast. You matter and you are loved. We'd love to connect with you further. So please visit us at daniellebernock.com and grab a copy of Danielle's free audiobook. And remember, only you can change your life. No one can do it for you.